So Luke chapter 13, beginning in verse 22, all the way to the end of the chapter. And he was passing from one city and village to another, teaching and proceeding on his way to Jerusalem. And someone said to him, Lord, are there just a few who are being saved? And he said to them, strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. Once the head of the house gets up and shuts the door, and you begin to stand outside and knock on the door saying, Lord, open up to us. Then he will answer and say to you, I do not know where you are from. Then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence and you taught in our streets. And he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you are from. Depart from me, all you evildoers. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but yourselves being thrown out. And they will come from the east and the west and from the north and the south. And they will recline at the table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some are last who will be first and some are first who will be last. Just at that time, some Pharisees approached saying to him, go away, leave here for Herod wants to kill you. And he said to them, go tell that fox, behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow. And the third day I reach my goal. Nevertheless, I must journey on today and tomorrow and the next day, for it cannot be that a prophet would perish outside of Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together, just as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you would not would not have it. Behold, your house is left to you desolate. And I say to you. I say to you, you will not see me until the time comes when you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And Father, we do thank you and praise you for this text. Lord, we ask now that your spirit would illuminate its meaning. Father, we ask that you would soften our hearts to hear your word. Um, We love you, Father, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So today's text you can see there's a bunch of scriptures. We're going we're gonna to kind of branch out to a few places, so bear with me as we move around. But I think it'll help bring this text into perspective. This is an interesting text, especially in light of the season that we're in. It's Christmas. Everybody loves Christmas. Everybody. I don't care. Like, it has nothing to do with Christianity. That's why everybody loves it so much. Like it's about giving presents and the and I love Christmas carols and I love this season I I really do, but it's funny what it's it, well it's almost funny what our culture has done with the baby Jesus in light of the message this is the baby Jesus we're looking at today who's talking about weeping and gnashing of teeth and few will enter into the kingdom like he gave hard words for us to swallow and yet this time comes around and most of Americans sort of gloss over the history of who jesus was and what he said and so there's much to be thankful we rejoice that he came but when we look at the message like he came to save sinners from the destruction that was due them for the consequences of their sin and that's why we rejoice but that's not what our culture says about christmas and so as we look at this text in verse 22 we see that he's passing through from one city and village to another teaching and proceeding on his way to Jerusalem. But as the story sort of unfolded, 
we see that on the northern part of the map, I don't have my pointer, but we see the Sea of Galilee. There's a river that runs from north to south into the Dead Sea. Um, from this region, Jesus was working his way south to Jerusalem. This is about a 60-mile journey. Just imagine if we kind of took off and said, hey, guys, there's a big celebration up on, um, what is it, Big Bear Lake, and we're all going to take off walking. It's going to take us, you know, at least a half hour to get there, right? You know, for walking. It's going to take a few days. And so Jesus is walking. He's making pit stops at synagogues, places of worship, talking and teaching along the way. As he's making this journey, he knows he is going to his death. And so he's getting close to the southern part of Jerusalem. He's, as you enter Jerusalem, Jerusalem is a, is a hill surrounded by mountains. It very much is like going into Big Bear. It's going up onto a mountain. And they're getting close. And as they're approaching this person, we don't know from the Greek if it's male or female. It's just a person, someone. And we can't even tell from his answer. In the, if he responded to the person, I could tell you if it was male or female. But he doesn't respond to the person. He responds to the crowd. And this person approaches and said to him, Lord, are there just a few who are being saved? This is an interesting question. This is, this is one of those not quite theoretical questions, but more of an abstract question, this person comes and asks this question. And understanding the context, this is a Jewish man talking to a Jewish rabbi, Jewish people then, and probably still today, I'm safe in saying this, they just assume because they're Jewish, they're God's chosen people, that they're going to heaven. We're all going to heaven. And that we're the few, that everybody else isn't going to show up there, it's just us. And the speculation in this text is this guy's kind of looking for assurance that, that he's good because he's a Jew. And most of us in this room are probably thinking, this is how we're wired. Well, most of us think, well, I'm probably pretty good to go because I'm an American. Or because I go to church. I've been going to church since I was a little kid. Like, I've been in Sunday school my whole life. It was interesting, the other day I was, you know, I read to Grace at night and we go through kind of stories, like we've been reading a bunch of missionary stories and just things, and I, and in one of the stories the person had decided to give their lives to Jesus, and I said, well, so have you given your life to Jesus? She's like, oh yeah, and I'm like, oh really? Like, you know when? Again, I'm kind of curious, picking the brain of a five-year-old that's almost six. Like, when exactly? She's like, dad, I was, I was, I was born into a Christian home. Like, by the time I started speaking, I was speaking Christian. And I'm like, Grace, we call that Christianese. Like, that's our, you know. And I'm like, well, does that make you a Christian? And she's like, of course not. I'm like, well, what makes a person a Christian? She's like, well, you have to trust in Jesus as your Savior. And I'm like, and you've done that? And she's like, of course I've done that. She's like, I'm a sinner. And I'm like, this little girl can speak. (laughs) I mean, she, and so, but this idea of, well, I'm good to go. And as a chaplain, as a pastor, I'm involved in very tragic situations. And what do we say when there's a fatality? We're sorry for your loss. It's one. They're in a better place. That, that's what we say. They're in a better place. And here I've been commissioned by the Lord to, to speak and teach the truth. And this is one of those most difficult situations. And so I walk a very fine line of speaking the truth in love not necessarily giving false hope. And if I don't know the person, I often 
will turn it on the, the people that are there and not speak about the person that's deceased. Because I don't know. Like, I don't know. I struggled with this. Like, I'm not, I'm not condemning all of you for being American or whatever, or wherever you, you know, whatever your nationality is or whatever your, your pride is. I struggled with this. I was raised Catholic. And I was always, t- like, I, was, I knew that I was a sinner. Not that I really cared about that. Like, I just knew that, like, I felt guilty. I always had a very guilty conscience. And I say had, not in the past tense, but it's still very present tense. I, I, I'm like, I have a guilty conscience. And so I'm, like, in my journey, I was told that I, because I was baptized as a child, I was good to go with God. But I didn't feel good with God. But I was like, well, I must be good because like, I, was, I was baptized whenever I was baptized. I have a picture of me as a little baby being baptized, and so I'm good. But that only lasted so long until I, I'm like, I'm not good. Like this comfort that I feel, like that I've been told I have with God based on that act that somebody else did on my behalf. And so I think this guy is kind of coming to look for this sort of assurance. And I love that Jesus, in his response, doesn't answer the question directly. He doesn't say, oh, yeah, there's going to be 7,622,000 people that are going to end up in heaven out of, you know, seven gazillion million people. So that's very few people will end up there. Very good, young man. He totally flips it on him. Like, he totally says, okay, well, well, what about you? Like, all of you that are here, you want to enter the kingdom of God, let's start thinking about this. This is a tool, like, I've learned from Jesus. Like, all the time, people will come up to me and they'll say, oh, you're going to Mexico. Don't we have enough people in need in the United States? Why don't you do an outreach to homeless people in Escondido? That's a great idea. Maybe God's leading you to do that. Go for it. <laughs> like, if God's raising you up, Deborah's learned this from me many times. Hey, Pastor Gunner, could we do something for this? Yeah, sure. Go for it. Give you all the authority to do it. It's cool to see God working in your life. Be prepared to give a little, you know, to speak to everybody in the morning. Because it's not like God hasn't really called me to do that. My, God's called me to help you all do what you're supposed to do. It's, we, the English really lack The Southern has it. The English language really lacks the second person plural. And we need y'all. We need y'all. We do. Spanish has it. Every other language has it, but we lack it. <laughs> it's, it's not because I moved to Valley Center. And so here, here Jesus looks at the, like, not just the individual, but he looks at the crowd. He, he said to them, all of these people who are following Jesus, strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able now, this word strive, it's fascinating. Our word agonize, we get that word agonize from this word. It's literally, it's the Greek, it's like agonizmai. So he says, have agony, great work, striving to enter the kingdom. And as I've been wrestling with this text this week, it doesn't that really cut against Protestant Christianity? No. It's salvation's a gift. Just receive it, my friend. Just believe and you'll be saved, which is totally true. Like, I don't let, but on the other hand, I don't see Jesus in the Bible saying, hey, just sit on the couch, watch your soap operas, eat bonbons all day, 
Just believe in me and you're good to go at the end of the day. Like there's this tension of striving. And, and if you're not a Christian or you're unsure, I would say strive. Like, uh, strive. Work as hard as you can to get into heaven. Do everything you can do. Try to be a good person. Don't lie. Don't swear. Don't commit adultery in your mind. And then what happens? Like, I've been there. I've tried to, to, to make sure that when I, like, if I die, I want the good to outweigh the bad. And see, the problem is if you're even confident in this area, you're not being honest with who you are. Like, it's fascinating. I heard a clip this week of this show. I've never even heard of this show. It's like truth and lie or something about this where they put a person on the hot seat and they begin asking questions. And with, they must be hooked to a lie detector test or something. And then they start asking harder and harder questions. And with every question, it's like, who wants to be a millionaire? But these questions are personal questions and your whole family's there. And this lady starts getting asked questions about her like relationship with her husband. And her faithfulness, and does she really love him? And does, would she, you know, they bring on her ex-boyfriend, and he says, well, would you have left me? And she says, she says yeah, I would leave your, my husband to go be with you. And they say, that's true. And it's horrible. It gets really bad. And I just heard the audio. I didn't see this. And then, like, the last question they ask her, well, do you think you're a good person? This was, like, the million-dollar question. And she says, absolutely, I'm a good person. I'm like, you just admitted on like national television that you've had infidelity with your spouse, that you'd leave your spouse, that you walk away from your kids, that you do all this. And yet you with a straight face say, I'm a good person. That one came back negative. Like she didn't pass that question. So she threw away her whole life. But that's how we kind of are. And I want you to go over to Galatians. Galatians chapter two. So if you're not a Christian... Or you're not sure. I, I would, I would ask you to hey, just start reading the Old Testament. Look at all the laws. Like we we kind of hold to the Ten Commandments, and I would say, oh sure, just take the Ten Commandments. But there are 613 commandments in the Old Testament. There's actually a book out there by a he's a secular Jew, or he was a secular Jew. Very funny guy. I forget the name of the book. But he's like, I'm going to live by the Old Testament law to the best of my ability. And he's just going to log it. And he failed at everything. Like, it was just like, he just couldn't do it. And so if you're not a Christian, I didn't encourage you. I tell you to take that challenge. Try, let's just, we'll just stick with the Ten Commandments. Do that and see how well it goes. And if you're honest with yourself, you realize I'm helpless. I'm in so much trouble. And see, the thing is, we're not comparing ourselves to other people. Because if we're comparing ourselves to other people, there's plenty of people that we can compare ourselves to. And put ourselves on moral high ground. But when the, you're comparing against God, it changes everything. And in Galatians 2, I think I should look at my notes. Galatians 3, I'm sorry. Verses 23. Is that right? 23 through 29. Paul begins writing these people who are trying to rely on good works to get into heaven. He says, but before faith came, we were kept in custody under the law. See, this is like going to prison, going to jail, that you're kept in custody under the law. Being shut up to the faith, which was later to be revealed. Therefore, the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ so that we may be justified by faith. So this whole, the law, all of the Old Testament, those 613 commands were never given in order to, to make you attain um, entrance into heaven. 
They were always there to show you. They were a tutor. They were to instruct you to show you your need for a savior because we are innately bad. And he goes on to say, but now that, that the faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor for you're all sons of God through faith in Christ. For all of you who are baptized in Christ have closed yourself with Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek nor Mexican nor American nor Native American nor Chinese nor you get the picture. There is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ and you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to the promise. So if you're not a Christian, sure, go strive. I think as humans, since there is a God, we should really desire to strive, to work, to agonize, to try to be at peace with him. Because it's a bad thing not to be. And as we strive, as we agonize, as we try to do this, we realize how big of a failures we are. Because we really are not good people. You could lock yourself into a, a room like some monks do and not interact with other people. And you're still going to be stuck with your biggest enemy, yourself. And you'll still realize how bad of a person you are. Now, what about to the Christian? Like, how, what does this mean? Okay, so you've accepted Christ. You've come to knowledge of him. You've trusted in him. You've been sealed in the spirit, and now you're Christian. How does this passage apply to us? I did a little research on this word, and it's used a number of times, this, this, this agony, this striving in the New Testament. There's three places that I found were particularly interesting. The first is in 1 Corinthians so if you head towards the front of the Bible, you'll, from Galatians, you'll hit 1 Corinthians and chapter 9, verse 25. <clears throat> and so at 9.25, we read this. It says, everyone who competes, this word compete, that's that word strive. It's the same word that Jesus uses. In the games, exercises self-control in all things. They... Then do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So here he like is looking to like this Olympic athlete to say, look at their life. Look how they train. And if you've never had the, like the pleasure of seeing like Olympians train, 2012 is the Olympics are coming. The Olympics have forever changed when I was given the opportunity to start working with Olympic athletes. We started going to like a midweek, like a Bible study at the Olympic training center and we're like giving these tools and we got to this text and we start, y'all, you strive, you work and you trust in Christ. He does stuff. And this girl, Brenda, I don't know her last name, but she's a multiple gold medalist in like the 800 meter track sort of thing. And she's like, oh, I get it. You know, I got this new coach a couple years ago. And, uh, you know, when you're running, she's looking at us, she's like, you know, when you're running and you're going around the curb and that centrifugal force is like just thrusting you to the ground. And I'm like, no, nah, I've never run that fast in a turn where I'm like struggling against centrifugal force. And she's like, yeah, well, the coach told me to do something I thought was really goofy. And I like, I never, like, I, I, I really kind of argued with him over this. And finally, I just kind of like conceded and I said, I'd give it a year of trying this. She's like, then all of a sudden, I broke a couple world records and I'm like, that, I so wish I could use that. I'm going to steal that for the rest of my life. And you just go in there, you see just the intensity of how they train and how they're so committed for something that only rolls around once every four years. And really it's every two years when you start talking about the world games that they use as a, as a launch pad. 
And last night, you know, last minute I get this call, hey, can you go to this banquet up at Paula to do the invocation for the Escondido Police Department? I'm like, oh, I'm really busy. My wife's like busy throwing up all day, which then that leads to like a five-year-old and a two-year-old. Please be praying for Anna. You know, she's making a baby and it's hard. You know, she's struggling. And, um, and so I go to this thing and I'm kind of like an outsider walking into this thing. I'm like, okay, I'm going to go. Like, I love these banquets. You show up all alone. They're all with their spouses. I'm kind of like, this is just, you know, there's that awkwardness. Hate that feeling. So then, but I'm so glad that they, we've invented the smartphone because then you can look all important like you have stuff going on. I'm like, ah, Facebook. It's like, I, this is, don't look at, don't look that it's Facebook, but just let me, you know, sit over here and look like I got a bunch of other stuff going on. <laughs> then a bunch of guys show up and like they really, like, you know, a bunch of the SWAT guys are like, hey, Gunner, come sit with us. And so I'm sitting with one of these SWAT cops. And so we start talking about this workout program that I've, um, and he's like, oh, yeah, it's great, you know, and I, you know, and he's a believer, and he's like, yeah, it's been really helpful, and I realized that one, on this one mission, like, all of a sudden, like, I realized that it had prepared me. And he's like, yeah, you know, I'm, I, a lot of people have a hard time with my Christianity. And I'm like, oh, yeah? He's like, well, yeah, that I'm a Christian, and I'm a cop, and a SWAT guy. He's like, but God has just wired me to be a warrior. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I totally get it. He's like, he's like no, I, he's like, listen, he's like, like, there's nothing more than I want to be. I want to be around the very most evil person at their very most evil moment. And I just want nothing more than to intercept them. And I'm like, you see, God has gifted you with that. I get it. I'm like, but I can see how you like your mom thinks that you're a nutcase. Because <laughs> SWAT cops are still babies to their moms, you know? It's like, honey, you're too state, but God has like wired him to be a, and I'm looking at, I'm like, you know, that's what God wants of us, that we would be like zealous like that and following after him, that we want nothing more to be in his will. He's like, cause I don't care if I die. Like, I don't want to die. But in this moment, it's like where most people are afraid. I realize that God has prepared me. I'm in his hands and I'm, even if I die, I'm with him. And I'm like, brother, there's a lot that we Christians could learn from what you just said. And this is what Paul's saying here. Now, turn with me towards the back of the Bible to 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy, Paul is equipping young Timothy, this new young pastor, to take on a very difficult situation. There's a church that's got a lot of problems. It's about 10 years old. And towards the end of this letter, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 12, but we're going to start at verse 11, he gives him this charge as he ends this letter. He says, But flee from these things, you man of God, and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Fight. That word fight is our word strive. When Jesus says strive to enter the kingdom of God, Paul uses that word here and he says, fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. So this is... Paul is like, fight the good fight. This whole, what Jesus says about strive to enter the kingdom. Yes, we're saved by grace. But as one who's saved by grace, one who's come to understand that we can't do it on our own, that we can't make it into the kingdom. And yet God has so graciously invited us in through faith in Christ. He wants us to like show a little passion for him. He showed a little passion for us going to the cross. And so here's Paul saying, fight the good fight. Go for it. 
Now go to the next book, 2 Timothy. This is Paul's last will and testament, essentially. He's in a pit. He's about to die. And in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7, this is Paul's last letter that he wrote. He was, tradition holds that he was, um, his head was lopped off for his faith. And in first Timothy or second Timothy four, verse six, he writes this. I am already being poured out as a drink offering. And the time of my departure has come. He's not talking about his flight. <laughs> it's like, I got to get to the airport. It's time for me to fly away. It's time for him to die. I have fought the good fight. There's that word again, strive. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. In the future, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. So he tells Timothy to fight the good fight. And at the end of his life, he says, I have fought the good fight. Was Paul perfect? No. There's great sorrow in his letters for the mistakes that he's made. There's great remorse that Paul for history is recorded at the guy who killed the very first Christian. Like that was Paul. And he refers to himself as the least or the worst of all sinners at his last recording. He goes from the least of all the apostles to the least of all Christians to the worst of all sinners. It wasn't that he was getting worse, but he was getting a greater oppression for God's holiness. But he says, I fought the fight. And so if you're here and you said, oh, I've made too much of a mess of it. I'm too old or whatever. Like I love what Charles Swindoll says. He says, it's never too late to start doing the right thing. It's never too late to start doing the right thing. There's a video circulating this week. I got an email, 15 minute video, powerful video. It's from a, a pilot who was supposed to fly the flight on September 11th from Boston to LAX that went into the towers. He, um, he kind of explains his, how his day went. He knew that he was on call. He was a reserve guy. So he was like kind of in the pool of, um, pilots to go. He sees, well, there was one flight without a pilot assigned. And as he looked at this flight from Boston to LAX, he's like, okay, this is what I'm going to do. There's only one guy's name that's slotted to go into this. It's my name. So he like packed his bag. He went through all of his stuff and he told his wife, ah, it looks like I'm going from Boston to LAX tomorrow. Um, I love you. They started going through. She's the wife came and came on and said, well, there's just things you do when you're married to a pilot. Like, so I started ironing his clothes for the flight. He'd have to leave early goes through this whole thing and he's like now i never got the call he's like it like the computer will generate this 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 cue to know that you're going but then you have a call like you'll get a call like of a person to get like a voice confirmation that hey it's time for you to go and he's like that call never came in he's like which isn't uncommon because a senior pilot will see a flight that he wants and he'll just take it the last minute and he said so there was this pilot his birthday was on september 10th and in the evening, he went up. He did exactly like I did. He saw this one flight, and he went ahead and plopped his name into there, called in, and uh, he took the flight. He's like, and this wasn't uncommon. He's like, I wasn't bummed out about it because I was still going to get paid. He's like, I was still going to get paid because I'm paid for, like, my being uh, available to fly. And he's like, then the next day, I kind of went to work, and then the news started coming in of all these things. And he's like, my cell phone started ringing. Are you okay? And I'm like, hey, I'm fine. I'm, I'm good. And then he's like, by the end of the day, my curiosity started to get to me. And so he's like, I went to my computer and he's like, when I 
opened it, um, when I opened my screen, my the previous screen was already there. Like it was already on the flight that he would he chose. And so he refreshed the screen, and he said that it was some code for the airline. Like failed to like complete this. Like it, it looks like a, he's like, well, what that means is something happened and there was a fatality and the, the flight never finished. And so then when it refreshed, it went from his name being in the box to his friend's name being in the box. And this guy's a Christian. He said, you know what? That day kind of changed, like over this last 11 years, my life has been changed. See, God can take me at any moment. And when that happened, I realized that he sat in my place. He's like, now that was a big deal. I don't want to minimize his death, but also Christ stood in my place on the cross. He, he took my seat. And he's like, you know what? My life is so short and it can go at any moment. And so all I'm going to, my like life's mission statement now is whatever I do, I want to like live fully for Christ. And when I stand before the Lord, I want to hear well done and good and faith, my good and faithful servant. And it was powerful to watch this video. And I think this is what Paul like is trying to affirm what Jesus said. Like, you strive. Strive as much as you can to get in the kingdom of God. And if you're not a Christian, well, all of us, if you're a Christian or you're not a Christian, you'll come to realize that we can't. God is perfect and holy, and there's nothing that we can do to bridge that gap. But when we reach a point when the message of the cross, the gospel that Jesus, according to the scriptures, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 4, that according to scriptures, he came, he lived the perfect life. He was nailed on the cross. He died. He was buried. He rose again. And then he appeared to many, upwards of 600 people, that they saw they touched him. He ascended into heaven. And by trusting in him, as believing in him, we're given his righteousness, and then we're good. But God doesn't, like, it's a free gift, but that doesn't mean that God doesn't want us to be a little bit zealous. Like, I love, like, the thing that's it's really wrong. I've had to, like, really kind of watch myself. I've had to kind of manage it, but there's a side of me that just, I love it. Grace and Elizabeth, a two-year-old and a five-year-old, they're kind of warring with each other over me. And it feels really good. Like, I love it. Like, like it's a two-year-old little girl, and her language is just coming together. And the one thing she's mastered, she'll, like, hug my neck. And it's, like, chokes me out, so I start, like, almost, like, losing it. And all she can say is, my daddy, my daddy, my daddy. Well, let's just say that sets Grace off. My daddy, my dad. And so like now I'm like being choked out by these two little girls. And I'm like just loving it. Like, okay, I'm like, okay. How about you say our daddy, our daddy. But I really like my daddy, you know, like, like, but then it leads to too much combat. Like I love them, but they're like zeal for me. Like see, like God wants that from us. That sort of like, God, I love you so much that you did this for me. Like, I just want to be obedient and faithful. I trust you to do whatever. Like, I think an application of these verses or this verse that Jesus says, if you'll go with me to Philippians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, go eat popcorn. Somebody else has something else, but Larry likes a different General Electric Power Company. Go eat popcorn. It's like way more appetizing to me. And in Philippians chapter 2, verse 12, there's this passage. It has nothing to do with this verse or this word. But Paul writes this. He says, so then, my beloved, and just as you have, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation 
with fear and trembling. And people say, that. what do you mean work out your salvation? I mean, you work for it? No, like you've been given salvation. Like work it out. January 1st is coming. What do people do on January 1st? You make resolutions. Well, probably most of us in this room have stopped. Maybe there's a couple that still hold on and make the resolutions. But in this group, I'm guessing that there's probably about 30 exercise machines sitting in our garage with dust on it (laughs) that that were New Year's resolutions. So you have this machine, and when you go work out, it's like, use it. Paul said, you've been given this faith. You've been given this life in Christ. Work it out. Live it out. And as you live out your salvation with fear and trembling, because the one who saved us is the creator and sustainer in the universe, there's something like having a healthy dose of fear of God is a good thing. It affects how we live. He says, work out your salvation and fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And so back to Luke, we'll go. So Jesus here, I love how he, this poor guy walks up to Jesus, or maybe a lucky guy that he had this opportunity to face Jesus. So back to Luke chapter 13. Guy comes, are there going to be a few people in heaven? Because we're Jews. It's probably just going to be the Jewish people, right? Just us. And everybody else is out. So we're very minority. And Jesus then looks at him and says, "With to all of the crowd, don't be comfortable just because you're Jewish. Don't be comfortable just because you go to church on Sunday. Don't be comfortable just because you fill in the blank. But strive, agonize to enter through the narrow door because few will enter. If you look at world history, the message of the cross, like if we take Christianity at, at really what it is, and if they understood Christianity in light of Christmas, Christmas wouldn't be nearly as possible, like as popular as it is today. He says, strive to enter the narrow door because you, if who have trusted in Christ, you are going to swim against the culture of the world. For many, I tell you, will seek and not enter. He goes on to say, verse 25. Once the head of the house gets up and shuts the door and you begin to stand outside and knock on the door saying, Lord, open up to us. Then he will answer and say to you, I do not know where you are from. Then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence and you taught in our streets. And he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you're from. Depart from me, you evildoers. So this next section that Jesus begins to talk about, he talks about, okay, you work really hard to get in. Jesus is on the way to the cross as he's saying this. He said, you strive, you work hard to enter the kingdom, but I'm going to do it all for you. Like I'm going to... Make it possible for you to enter. But the day is coming when this time, when the, when the opportunity is going to be over. Like there will, be, there will come a time when the opportunity passes. And in this section, twice he says, I do not know where you came from. This, 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 the owner of the house, the one who slams the door shut. People are knocking, let me in, let me in, let me in. So I don't know you guys. It speaks of this relationship with God. The person's out there knocking and the guy's like, I'm sorry, I don't know where you're from. I'm not opening up. I don't trust you. I don't whatever. You're not it. There's a time when our opportunity will cease. We just, you know, our family's growing. Been, I've been for like three years been watching, you know, the minivan market. So I finally bought a new minivan. Well, it's not new to us. New, a new minivan with 95,000 miles on it, you know. 
but it's a Toyota, so it'll last, you know, a long time. So, we're, but I hate buying cars. I hate like used cars, especially because I mean, if we like, I, I've, I've like, I probably should have, but I like when I bought this one. Like, I used to bother, like, opening up the hood. Like, I knew what I was looking at. Like, this one, I'd even open the hood, you know? Like, a couple days later, my dad's like, open up the hood. I'm like, yeah, it's probably a good idea. Why don't, let's figure out how we do that. You know, here we go. You're like, well, look at that thing, you know? It's black and got hoses and stuff, you know? It's cool. <laughs> it's... But then what I, I – because, like, I just feel like – and I have car salesmen in my family that were – or that one's deceased, but – and I'd say this to them. I'm like, I just feel like they're trying to rip me off. You know, if they want to sell me something that they don't want, and I'm going to buy it, and then the whole thing's going to fall apart. And so then they give you this deal. Because I going through the dealership, this trade-in, I, I feel like I got a good deal. Or I'm telling myself this. They say, well, there's a limited warranty. 30 days or 1,000 miles, whichever comes first. And God kind of does that with us, with salvation. We have a limited sort of opportunity. When Christ comes back... Or when you die, then the offer's done. There's no purgatory. Like I hate to like if you were raised Catholic like me, there's nothing in the Bible that points towards purgatory. Hebrews nine twenty seven, go there. It's towards the back of the Bible. If you're new here and you're flipping around, flipping back, getting lost, there's a table of contents in every Bible. Don't be shy to use it. Flipping through the books of the Bible help you get a better understanding of the Bible. And so in Hebrews Chapter 9, verse 27, we read this. It says, And as in as much as it is appointed for men to die once, we're all, this is something, this is a reality we all have to face. None of us like talking about this. But pretty much only one person has, well, a couple people in the scriptures, like Enoch, Jesus. There's a couple that have avoided death. Well, Jesus didn't avoid death. He died and overcame it. <laughs> Enoch was taken up. Elijah, I'm sorry. I, uh, names. I'm, I, <clears throat> but you know what I'm talking about, Larry. <laughs> but, but keeping me accountable. He says, once you die, and after this comes judgment. He says, so when you die, that's it. You face God. Or if Jesus appears, or when he appears, those that are alive when Jesus appears, it's like, that's it. Judgment time's over. And so we have this sort of, there is this sort of like urgency because none of us are guaranteed the rest of today. Like, I, I don't like this any more than you like this. Like, God's made a pretty good earth. He's created us to live here. We love it here. Like, I, I'm thankful for what God's given. But the reality is, is none of us are given this, this, like, we don't know that we'll have even an hour from now. Crazy things happen all the time in this world and people die. But I don't think he's saying this to strike fear in us. Like this whole striving, like we're striving, we're striving, we're striving. And I know Christians who are terrified that they necessarily aren't going to like, oh, well, how do I know I'm going to go to heaven? Well, I totally believe in assurance. That how do we know that we're good with God? Well, first John, the apostle John, the apostle of love towards the back of the Bible, a couple books to the back in first John chapter four, verse 15 we read this. This, our time is out when we die. We're striving towards God. But how do we know? How do we have peace that we're good with God? How do we celebrate Christian Christmas? How do we rejoice about the things that God has done? 
And in 1 John verse, chapter 4, verse 15, we read this. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. We have come to know that we have believed the love which God has for us. God is love. And the one who abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. By this love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence. Circle that. Highlight that. Whatever you do in your Bible. Confidence means assurance that we know when this day of judgment comes, we have confidence in the day of judgment because as he is, so also are we in this world. World, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves punishment and the one who fears is not perfected in love. And so there's this sort of assurance, but I'm convinced that there are a lot of people who claim Christ that don't know Christ. A few years ago through instant message, I was talking to this guy that I had a relationship with that was um, in a different part of the world. And he was really struggling. And in talking to him, I thought he was a Christian. But as we started, we're going back and forth in written form where I could really see what he understood. Like he had all of the facts about Christianity. He totally like, he, he believed them to be true. He said, that, well, Jesus died for sinners. All of this stuff. And I'm like, man, you got that. I'm like, but have you ever like, personally like like acknowledged him and believed upon him like as your own savior or are you like regurgitating the facts that you grew up in the church and then there was no response from him for like 30 seconds a minute it was very kind of weird it was like huh and he came back and he's like you know i've never i just know the facts it like dawned on him i just know the facts and i'm like well just believe just believe in those facts just say a prayer right now He's like, well, what do I pray? I'm like, well, just talk to God. I'm not going to tell you what to say. Just believe in him. Like, just say, Lord, I believe. Thank you for saving me. I like whatever. And he came back. He's like, whoa. He's like, how did I miss that? And I'm like, I think a lot of us miss that. That there's this sort of, that there is a point where we activate our faith. Ephesians 1.13 makes it clear that when you've heard the gospel, at some point you believe. And at that moment of belief, that's when you're sealed. And once you're sealed, once you've trusted in Christ, once you're abiding in him, there's assurance, there's hope. And then our story continues. Back in Luke. <clears throat> you can find Luke, Luke chapter 13, <clears throat> verse 28. The story kind of makes a turn that we don't like. So Jesus said, there's a time limit. The door will be shut. No matter how hard you like knock, no matter how hard you pray for your family member that you think's in purgatory, there's no such thing. Like at death, it's over. There's no undoing it. And he goes on to say, in that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. He's describing hell. When you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves are thrown out. This is like that picture of Jesus and John that he paints, like that, he, that there's this understanding that, that heaven and hell, like there's this broad divide, but you can see across it. And those that are being tormented can see across to paradise. And there's the rich man, the parable of rich man and Lazarus. Can I just go back and tell my family this is real? And he says, hey, they have the word of God. Let them figure out for themselves. 
And so he says in this place, those are rejected. It's not a good thing. We don't like this, or I don't like this idea of hell, because it blows a major hole in our understanding that man is basically good. Like most people will say, oh, mankind is pretty much basically good. And there's a few people who commit crimes and they're in jail. But for the most people, everybody is on this track of goodness. But the Bible says the exact opposite, that we're on the track of badness, that we're all evil. By nature, we are darkness, according to Ephesians. And that God has saved us and brought us into the light when you believe. And so he describes this. And so he, he's this, like, this super like warning. In the midst of this, verse 29, he's describing hell. But there's going to be this great surprise for the Jewish people. And it says, and they will come from the east and the west and the north and the south. So he's saying non-Jewish people, those Gentiles that are all around us, all around the world, they're going to be in the kingdom and recline at the table, the kingdom of God. Like heaven, when the kingdom of God is described, it's like this big party. Like God is a happy God. Like we don't have to be Christians that, you know, Chuck Swindoll says, why do most Christians walk around like they've been baptized in lemon juice? Like we can be happy. God's happy. Like there's this big party in heaven. And at the party, there's a bunch of people who aren't supposed to be there by human standards, by like the Jewish standard. I think a bunch of us, when we get to heaven, are going to be shocked to see who's there and who's not there. And there's this picture last night, like I get invited to this banquet. It's a party. And I'm walking in and it's going, man, I'm not a cop. Like I'm a pastor. But they've invited me in to come like do the opening prayer. And there's this sort of this feeling of awkward, like, I don't belong here. I'm not one of them. They all are cops. They all deal with their stuff. This is their Christmas party. But as soon as I get there, they all welcome me and, hey, pastor, how's it going, chaps? Like, and they make me feel at home. The only person that deserves to be at this party in heaven is God. And yet he invites all of us in to have this big party. And then he goes in. He, he continues. I, I want to make sure I'm, yeah, I'm not, I, I'm good. And so just as he's teaching about this, just at that time, some Pharisees approach saying to him, go away, leave here for Herod wants to kill you. So the Pharisees get a real bad rap by Christians, but they were good Pharisees. Paul was one of them to his death. He still said, I'm a Pharisee in the present tense. He didn't, he didn't like leave the organization of being a Pharisee. He was always a Pharisee. And here these Pharisees approach Jesus and they say, listen, when you get there, Herod wants to kill you. Don't go. And Jesus knew what his calling was. He said to them, go and tell that fox, this brutal dictator. Behold, I cast out demons and perform cures. And today and tomorrow and the third day I reach my goal. I'm still going to Jerusalem. I don't care that he's going to. I know. I know nobody's taking my life. I'm giving my life as a ransom for many. Nevertheless, verse 33, I must journey on, the, on today and tomorrow and the next day, for it cannot be that a prophet would perish outside of Jerusalem. See, he knows he's going to be executed. And then as he's, he's heading here, what I, what I see, as he talks about Jerusalem, suddenly this, this Jerusalem, this to this day is the most contested piece of terra firma in all of the world. This little piece of earth, everybody's arguing it over it. It in itself is a miracle when you go there. Like, it's just powerful. And as he mentions Jerusalem, he says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, 
The city that kills the prophets and stones those sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together, just as a hen gathers her brood under her wings. And you would not have it. Behold, your house is left to you desolate. And I say to you, you will not see me until the time comes when you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So here Jesus looks at Jerusalem. He sees himself entering in Jerusalem and his love for this town. He describes himself as a hen with little chicks that I've loved you so much and I've wanted you in. There are two times in the Bible that Jesus is recorded as crying, weeping. John eleven thirty five, shortest verse in the English Bible. If you want to get encouraged Bible memory, it's the one I got. Jesus wept. This is that first time Lazarus had died. He knows he's going to raise him, but Jesus looks at the crowd and he sees their agony of losing a loved one because we as humans can't deal with death because we were not created for death. And so when we're faced with death, we're faced with our own immortality or mortality, right? I always get this kind of backward. We're faced with we're not going to live forever, and we don't like it. And so it causes great sorrow. Sure, there's sadness for the person that dies, but often there's more sadness even for like, oh man, that's going to be me. Like, and I've heard people that were like the babies in the family, then as like their family gets older and they're everybody above them starts dying and they're like literally the next one, like on the whole, like escalate the escalator. It's like, Oh no, I don't like this. I want to get off this thing. We don't like death. And Jesus knowing that he's going to overcome death. He weeps. The next time we see death or Jesus weeping is in Luke 19. We're getting there as he approaches Jerusalem, as he gets there, he sees the city. See, Jerusalem is a hill, but there's, it's a hill surrounded by hills. There's like a big valley around it, so you can see it. You can see the temple. It's huge from far away. He gets there, and his heart is just filled with sadness over this. And what I get from this, see, we don't like as humans, we don't like talking about hell. It's not fair, right? Christianity is so exclusive that there's only one way to heaven. How can that be? It's so narrow. Why doesn't every way lead you to heaven? Well, the only answer I can say for that is, I'm just glad that there is a way <laughs> like that. God was so gracious to us that he gave away. And when I look at the Bible and it's teaching on hell, the reason people go to hell or in hell is not because God didn't love them, not because God didn't go out of his way for them. It's because everybody who's died, God has so gone after that person and that person has rejected him. The people that are in hell are because they've rejected the claims of God and his, like what he's revealed to us. God loves humanity so much, but in his love, he wants that free will of people to love him back. He's not forcing anybody to love him. He wants all to be saved. Like the patience of God is so patient, (laughs) but that's a bad loving kindness that endures forever. If you look at the Psalms. And the reason he's so patient is because he wants us to come to faith in him. And as we conclude, the first question is, what have you done with Christ's offer of salvation? Like during this whole Christmas season, we're going to hear all about Jesus. We're going to sing Christmas carols. And there's plenty of Christmas carols that have like the gospel in them. The question is, what have you done with Jesus? Like, have you come to believe in him as savior? It's simple. There's no like, new members class. There's no, like, it's as simple as like the gospel is that Jesus loves you. He lived a perfect life. He died. He was buried. He rose on the third day. He did this for you. 
and in believing in him, you're saved. Now, to you that have believed in Christ, this whole striving, the Christian life for me or my own life, but I think it applies to all of us, is if your alignment is good in your car, you can pretty much kind of take your hands off the steering wheel and it'll still go straight. If your alignment's off, you're going to go into a ditch. Like, I've had cars where it's like I had to like to drive straight, I had to like do this. That's my life with God. Like, if I want to stay on the straight and narrow with, with God... Like, it takes so much work because my heart is so bent for evil. It's so bent for evil. Like, if you guys could have seen me last night, but it was good because I knew I had to teach on this today, so I, like, had a lot of accountability. To go to this banquet, it was like I had to walk through a casino. Man, I, I love gambling. <laughs> like, that's one of the things I've had to give up. Like, I seriously, like, last night, I was like, oh, man, Anna would never know. I could just take 20 bucks. Go play a little blackjack. Yeah, well, no, no, I know. But, I, but my mind is I would start with 20. I'd end up losing like $2,000 because <laughs> I got to get back all the money. It's just a horrible temptation. And I'm walking through there and it's like, Lord, just help me to have my, like, my heart broken for these people that are pulling. But because my heart is so easily to go there. And I think of the old, um, oh, what's his name? Um, yeah, I got to keep a, 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 a tight, I walk the line. I keep a close watch of this heart of mine. What? Johnny Cash. Like the whole, like I got to keep a close watch on this heart of mine. The old hymn as we close here, the come the fount of every blessing. Listen to this stanza. Wrote in 1759. So this is like you, all humans are the same. Oh, to grace, how great a debtor. When we come to understand grace, the longer we live this life and the more we understand who God is and who we are, grace seems to abound. And the more it abounds, the more we're in debt to it, that we're enslaved to grace. Daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy goodness like a fetter bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God of love. Isn't that, isn't that so true about our hearts? Here's my heart. Oh, take it and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. Or if you're not into the traditional hymns, how about Chris Tomlin? Enough. You are my supply, my breath of life. And still more awesome than I know. You are my reward worth living for. And still more awesome than I know. All of you is more than enough for all of me. For every thirst and every need, you satisfy me with your love. And all I have in you is more than enough. I heard a guy say, I can't say his name, he's Billy Graham's grandson and he took over Coral Ridge Ministries. And he was on the radio this week and he said, you know what? Say it again? And what's his last name? Something like like hard. <laughs> he's that guy, Billy Graham's grandson. He'll always be Billy Graham's grandson. <clears throat> but he said, he just wrote a book, like, Jesus plus grace is everything or something like that. Jesus and grace, something along those lines. And he said, you know what? He's like, grace, understanding grace is you give me the whole world and I've gained nothing in Christ. You take away everything I have, I've lost nothing in Christ. Christ is what we need. And Christians say, yes, salvation is by grace, but there's nothing wrong with striving and seeking after God. God wants us to be on fire for him.
And I know that I want to be a zealous nut for him who's with me. Amen. (laughs) Father, I do thank you and praise you for this day. Lord, we thank you for your words that cut us to the quick. And Lord, I know this journey that I've been on has been a long road. And Lord, my heart goes to those in this room, Lord, that maybe are still searching, wondering how the whole faith in Christ works out in their lives. Lord, it's a struggle for us um, putting this world together with the one to come. And so, Father, I pray for each person here, Lord, maybe those that haven't come to know you as Savior or to trust in you, but they're seeking. I thank you that they're here. And, Lord, I pray that you uh, and your spirit would do a work in their hearts, Lord, that they would come to assurance in Christ. Father, I pray for us, Lord, that as we confess you as Savior, as we confess you as Lord, we pray, Lord, that you would help us um, to really light that fire, that we would be zealous about you, that we would give all of what we are to you. Lord, I pray that as we study your word, as we trust in you through faith, Lord, that you would just do an amazing work in our lives. We love you, Father. We praise you. And we ask this in Christ's good name. Amen.